0: Well, good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Awesome. So, today, Pastor Jared's out of town, so next best guy is in line. (laughs) Probably not. I think everybody else said no. So, here I am. So, uh, anyway, so, Gospel of John. We're still in the Gospel of John today, chapter six. We've already read the the verses there. Um, But it's been a while since I've had an opportunity to talk to y'all on Sunday. I prefer kind of being behind the drums or behind the computer, but uh, I, I, I relish these opportunities. I love the, the opportunity to get to, to study God's word and to open it with you and, uh, try to explain a little bit about maybe what God's trying to teach us out of his word. And that's what we're going to do today. So we've been moving through the book of John verse by verse, and we're seeing Jesus's ministry really up close and personal at this point. Uh, and verses 30 through 50 in John six is what we're going to be in today. And just to kind of catch you up on where we are, a little bit of a timeline: uh, we're right in the thick of Jesus's public ministry, and so uh, there's a lot of things that are happening. Crowds are starting to gather, very large crowds. They're starting to they're starting to follow him around to different places. So much so that he's going to have to. Uh, we see Jesus kind of get alone uh, several times by himself, just uh, in prayer. Uh, so so people are starting to know who he is. the The religious leaders, the government leaders, uh, just the the general population are, are really starting to uh, figure out that Jesus is kind of this big deal and they're trying to figure out why why he's here, what he's doing and the things he has to say. And so, so far we've seen some five major miracles happen. And the first one was uh, water uh, changed into wine in chapter two at the wedding at Cana. Uh, we see a healing of a sick boy in chapter four. Uh, we've seen a healing of a paralyzed man in chapter five at the pool of Bethesda. And then these last couple of weeks, um, and, and on Sundays, we've been reading about the feeding of the five thousand, and uh, this is uh, to be understood as really about fifteen to twenty thousand people uh, for all the people that were there. So that was that was a major a major miracle that happened. And then we see that Jesus walked on the water during a storm, and that's something that maybe not everybody saw, um, but they 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 heard about kind of what happened, and they were intrigued. Um, and so I want you to keep this in mind that that that. Jesus' popularity or Jesus' renown is starting to be known in that area and people are starting to follow him and people are starting to gather to hear what he has to say. So as I was reading through this passage, I realized uh, that there's a lot of different ways that we can learn in life. And two of those ways is the easy way is probably to learn to see how it's done the right way and to mimic that and everything goes smooth, right? The other way that we learn is by... um, Everything going wrong, and then we learn what not to do, right? And this is the way that I learn typically. Uh, I, I really mess up a lot of things, and then I figure out what not to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we see the crowd, the way that they responded to Jesus is how not to respond to Jesus. And we're going to look at three different ways that the crowd responded to J- Jesus in three different ways how we should not respond to Jesus as well, So we're going to see three ways that people responded to Jesus's lessons, his miracles, and his sermons. And I hope by seeing what not to do, that we can turn that around and see how to properly respond to Jesus's call on our life, whatever that may be for you today, whatever situation you may be in. So for today's, um, b- before we get into today's passage, I want to remind you that one more time that this crowd has witnessed a major miracle of feeding 15 to 20,000 people, all from two fish. And from five loaves. And so, uh, in, in verse, tw- and they had 12 baskets to spare at the end of it all. And, and from verse 22, just before our passage today, uh, the, the Bible says the next day. And, and most scholars would agree that uh, it was within 24 hours that this happened. And so, uh, this, this passage that we're going to talk about today was that within 24 hours of them eating the fish and the loaves and seeing that miracle happen right in front of them. In fact, a lot of scholars say it was the same crowd gathered in the same location. And so this doesn't always happen in Scripture. Sometimes we go from one passage to another, and it could have been weeks. It could have been months. uh, But that's not the case here. Uh, It does say that it is the next day, probably, likely within 24 hours. Uh, Also, most people probably didn't see it except the disciples. But Jesus calmed the storm, and he walked on water uh, during the night. In verses 22 through 25, explained that people knew something had happened, but they couldn't quite understand what really was going on. And so jumping into where we are today, verse 30 through 33, I want to read those, uh, those, passage, that, those verses again. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he, ha- he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the first way not to respond to Jesus uh, we see here is greed uh, from verses 30 through 33. The people, um, I'm really kind of blown away. I've read this passage over and over again in the past couple of weeks. Uh, trying to prepare, and I just can't get over the greed and the unbelief, and the fact that they want more, and they want more, and they want more. I mean, Jesus just fed 20,000 people um, through, through a very small amount of food, and, and these are the same people that witnessed it, yet, yet they're asking, what sign do you do that we can believe you? Like, that wasn't enough already, right? I mean, they've witnessed some really cool things. They saw Jesus perform uh, some unthinkable, unthinkable, I'm, um, I can't even, hang on some unfathomable things. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't put words in there that I can't say. Anyway, but their response to this question, and they ask, what sign can you do to make us believe? What work or what miraculous act can you perform so that we will believe? And this is pretty amazing to me. And and reading through some of the commentaries and some of the Bible scholars, one commentary I read called the people thick-headed and self-centered. Uh, that's kind of funny. Uh, the other called people forgetful or naive, which is a little bit softer. I tend to lean towards the first one because uh, they were pretty thick-headed and they were pretty self-centered to not see that uh, that crazy miracle that they just witnessed and then ask Jesus for a sign because they couldn't believe what just happened. Another uh, another called the people forgetful or naive. And uh, maybe they were just forgetful. Maybe they were just naive. Maybe they just didn't quite understand what, what went on. Uh, but these people saw everything they needed to see to believe um, that Jesus was not just another prophet, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. These same people tasted the fish. They ate the bread that was created through the power of Jesus' miracle. It was definitely, definitely enough to prove his deity, yet they still had unbelief. And they still wanted more. Over in Matthew 12, verse 39 Jesus tells the scribes and the Pharisees, (coughs) but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. And that's exactly what's happening here. They're seeking for more and more signs. The truth about the crowd here is that they are greedy. They were wanting Jesus to continue to provide them with food. And they look back to um, the Israelites in the wilderness and how Moses was leading them and, and the Lord provided food for them every single day. And this was actually... I learned this when I was studying. This was a common misconception of how to identify the Messiah. So in these days, they're, they're, they're hearing stories from their ancestors that are being passed down. And, and they're hearing stories in the temples and all that. And they're looking for who's the Messiah. He's coming, right? He's coming. So who is he? How do we identify who he is? And one of the ways that they thought they could identify the Messiah was to look for someone that would provide them food every day, just like it happened in the wilderness Uh, for the Israelites. So this was a common misconception how they could identify the Messiah, and that's what they were looking for. And so in verse 31, the crowd is referring back to Exodus 16, verse 15, which says this. It says, when the people of Israel saw it, they said to another, what is it? And they're talking about the manna, the bread from heaven. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The problem is that they aren't remembering the main part of the story here. Uh, in fact, they said, our fathers ate the manna in, in, in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them the bread from heaven to eat. So they're misquoting, um, misquoting what happened here. They aren't remembering the main part of the story here is that God is the one that provided the bread, not Moses. Jesus is pointing out just like in Exodus that God sent him. He's providing the bread again. He sent him to be the bread of life, a different kind of bread to be the sustenance That people really needed. In Matthew 4 4, Jesus is is speaking and he says, But he answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus is that word that comes from the mouth of God. He says in verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is here, he's here to offer life. But the people are looking for things. They're looking for food. They're looking for stuff. They're looking for uh, whatever can uh, satisfy their temporary needs, right? So they're, they're just looking for more and more stuff. They're looking to be provided for. They're looking for those temporary things that they need today. And they're not looking forward to the future. And it really sounds familiar to our culture today. We're looking for more and more things. We're looking for more and more stuff. And Jesus didn't come to give us what we want, necessarily. Oftentimes, uh, there are times in our life when we get things that we want, but he he came to give us what we need, and that need is eternal life. That need is salvation from the slavery of sin in our lives. And this is why Jesus came, not to just give us the temporary, but to give us the eternal, and that's the kind of bread that he speaks to. So before moving on, I have to mention uh, that last phrase in verse 33, There's different ways that Jesus contrasts the bread of manna in Moses' time and the true bread of Jesus right now, which sustains spiritual life. One of those contrasts is that the manna that was given in the Old Testament was only for the Israelites. it's for a very small, select group of people, and that's how he provided for them. But Jesus came to give life to the whole world. He came to offer salvation to all, regardless of what their nationality was, what their race was, what their ethnic background was, whatever stuff they were involved in, it didn't matter. Jesus came to give life to all of us, and that's the good news about Jesus. No matter where you find yourself in life today, Jesus came to offer you life, an abundant life, a life full of joy, a life full of peace, a life full of faith. This doesn't necessarily mean that life is easy when we have Jesus. It's not an easy life full of money and toys like we often think of, in our culture, but life with Jesus is a life worth living, even through the tough times. So today, maybe you find yourself looking for the next miracle. Maybe you find yourself looking for the next sign. Maybe you're um, trying to fill your life with more and more things, and you think Jesus is the answer to those things. Maybe you're wanting Jesus to provide all of your earthly pleasures, Um, but uh, you can look at your life, and, and maybe you're really honest, and you see that greed is a motivation in your life. You're making deals with God that you'll straighten up. And if he'll just do this or just do that for you, then you'll follow him. You'll make him the Lord of your life. You'll begin to live in in life uh, the right way and following him. And just like the crowd here in John 6, that view of Jesus is small. You'll never find Jesus gratifying our materialism. The good news is that Jesus is the true bread. He provides True sustenance. He provides real hope. He provides abundant joy and he provides eternal peace. And that's who Jesus is, and we should learn to respond to Jesus not with greed but with thanksgiving. And so we see the crowd, they responded with greed, but we also see that the crowd responded with unbelief. And this comes from verse 34 through 40. They responded with greed. They wanted more bread so they wouldn't be hungry. And then we see them respond with unbelief. And in verse 34 says, They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. The crowd here is spiritually blind. They've completely missed the point that he tried to get at in the the previous two verses, in verses 32 and 33. So they have a continued desire to use Jesus for their physical needs and their demands to him. Their interest in Jesus is strictly superficial. They're just looking to get more and more things Uh, from Jesus. And we still see the same thing today. Our churches, our communities, people are full of those only looking for immediate needs to be met. And these are shallow, temporary followers at best. So this crowd first asked Jesus to prove himself like he didn't already do that. They asked him to prove himself even after he already did. And now they're insisting that he provide everything that they wanted, that they provide for their temporary needs, their daily food. And finally, Jesus, knowing that their lack of understanding, declared, uh, he declared very plainly in verse 35. He saw that they weren't quite understanding what in the world he was talking, out, talking about, so he said it very plainly in 35. He said, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So obviously, there's not a, uh, he wasn't referring to physical hunger and thirst. There's not a bread or a drink out there that permanently cures hunger. Or thirst, So he must not have been speaking of the body or physical things. He had to be speaking of the soul, the spirit, that that's deep down inside of us. And at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus says this. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So Jesus is talking metaphorically about the deep need for humans to know God using the pictures of hunger and thirst. He's talking about that hole that we have in our hearts that we, that we try to fill with a million other things in our life. And um, if you're a believer, hopefully you've, you, you know this and you're not continually living this out, but we try to fill our lives with all kinds of things. And we think that, uh, that money is going gonna, to fill that hole. We think that a new job or, or having this new relationship in our life or uh, a new car or, or whatever else that looks like for you, Uh, We try to fill that hole with a million other things. And the truth is that only Jesus can fill that hole. He's the only one that can meet that hunger, that deep uh, spiritual thirst, that hunger that we have. And there's two words in verse 35 that explain our part in salvation. So Jesus, um, uh, to come to Christ is to leave the old life of sin and rebellion behind, to submit to him as your Lord or as I like to say, make him the boss of your life. So it says, he says to come and he says to believe. And the first part is to come, is to come to Jesus, to admit that we're, that we're sinners, to make him the, the boss of our lives. And I think I stole this uh, from Pastor Daniel, but this is my favorite way of telling people how to make Jesus not only our Savior, but our, our Lord, is that we make Jesus the boss of our life. We follow every word that he says, not that we ever, we're ever going to do it perfectly, but we try to follow every word he says, we try to uh, dig into scripture and see how he lives life. And we try to mimic that in our own lives. So he says, Jesus says to come. And in this, in this passage, repentance isn't clearly stated uh, here in this particular passage, but it's almost everywhere else in scripture that we ought to repent, that we ought to turn from our sins, that we ought to um, do a complete 180 away from those things in our life that does not glorify God. And Charles Spurgeon said it clearly. One time he said, you and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together. And so we're never going to get rid of those sins completely, but we've got we've to do our best to turn away from those sins. We've got to come to God, but we also have to believe. Jesus says to come, but he also says to believe. To believe in Jesus is to trust completely in him as the Messiah and as the Son of God. And as John fourteen six says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so we've got to, we've got to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We've got to believe that the things that happened um, in, in the Bible about Jesus, that all, all of that is true. We've got to believe that he is the Savior that came to save us from our sins and save us uh, from hell. And so in verse 35, this is the first of seven I am statements in the gospel of John. And all of these statements are joined with metaphors of Christ's work as Savior. Jesus says, um, he says here that I am the bread of life. But he also says in, in other parts of the book of John, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. So all of these "I am" statements are joined with metaphors of Christ's work as a savior. These are all the ways that He's trying to tell people, "Hey, I'm here to save you. Hey, I'm here um, to to allow you to escape from from the slavery of sin and shame." And so these are this is the first "I am" statement. Uh, and after this first "I am" statement, Jesus uh, begins to rebuke the crowd just a little bit in verses 36 through 39, he says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I raise it up on the last day. So there's a lot here in some of these verses, and there's probably uh, two or three other sermons that can be preached just out of some of these uh, really small passages. Uh, But Jesus sees that the crowd has failed to grasp the significance of his miracles, and they missed the point of his teachings. They still didn't believe uh, after all that they had heard and all that they had seen, and uh, all the crazy things that that, uh, people have witnessed uh, just in this short amount of time, and the people are still asking for more. They still didn't believe even in his rebuke, though, Jesus isn't giving up on the crowd. He's still inviting them into salvation. And this is, the, this is the great thing about Jesus, is that he loves us so much that even when we mess up, even when we don't understand, even when we're our back's away from him and we're running away, he's offering us salvation. He loves us. He wants us to come to him and to be saved and to believe in him. He says in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. So he's offering them eternal life in exchange for their belief. He wants all to respond to him with belief. And my question is, how are you going to respond to him today? Maybe, maybe you are someone that has never responded to Jesus with belief. Maybe it's, it's really hard uh, to understand. And my question is, will you accept the true bread today that will satisfy your soul's greatest hunger, and thirst. Maybe you've tried to fill your life fill your life with a million other things, um, but the truth is nothing will ever fill you um, until you have Jesus in your life. Or are you going to continue seeking the physical bread, seeking the f- temporary needs, seeking the things and the stuff in your life that you think is going to make everything better like the crowd does here in John 6? So we see that... Uh, Two ways that the crowd has responded to Jesus' miracle, miracles and his teachings. And so far, they're two for two on how not to respond. So we see that they've responded with greed. We see that they've responded with unbelief. And then we see, lastly, that they responded uh, with grumbling. And I said in the, in the first service, I've said this word a million times through here, and you read it a million, you know, when you say a word like a million times, and it begins to like lose its meaning. It's like, am I even saying the word Right. Uh, that's what it feels like. But these people, that's all they're doing. They're grumbling. They're grumbling. Because of their unbelief, they began to grumble about Jesus. When I hear this gr- word grumble, my, my brain automatically goes back to the Old Testament, to Exodus, um, when the Jews are being led around in the wilderness, um, and, Jesus, and God is providing for them. Uh, but yet all they can do is look at the negative. All they can do is, is wonder, what, is li- what would life be like if they were still back in Egypt as slaves? And instead of focusing on the positive, they, f- they tend to focus on, on the negative and they're And they're focusing on all the things that Jesus uh, or, that, or, that, or that Moses had led them away from in the Old Testament. They were wandering in the desert. They were being led by Moses. And all they did was grumble. In Exodus sixteen two, it says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. In verses 8 and 9, it says, And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, And in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And if you think about it, that we as humans we tend to complain, we tend to grumble a lot, right? It's so much easier just to just to complain about things, just to think things should be better or things should be different. And we grumble and we complain and and all these things. It's so much easier to do that. So, back to verse uh, 41 uh, in John chapter 6, it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of whose father, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except who is from God. He has seen the Father. So again, there's there's a lot there, but what I'm focusing on is how, how the people responded to Jesus here. And they responded... With grumbling, and grumbling is simply defined as muttered complaints um, and whispers of displeasure. And so they're they're kind of complaining to each other, kind of behind behind people's back. They're they're uh, making it known that they're not happy with whatever situation's going on, and they're not happy with the teaching of Jesus. And this is kind of defines the the life and the ministry of Jesus that these spiritual leaders, the ones that are supposed to be um, bringing people to uh, the Messiah. I can't even see the Messiah that's right in front of their faces. So the crowd was essentially upset at two things. First, that he was the source of eternal life. Uh, Jesus said he is the source of eternal life. They're also upset that he came down out of heaven. He said that he came down out of heaven. He actually refers to this six times just in this one chapter. And so his claim to heavenly origin is pretty unmistakable. First, that, he came, that he's the source of eternal life and that he came down out of heaven. And still the people didn't get it. As often, we don't. When things are told to us, we, we tend, to, uh, tend to not believe. And they saw him as a human. They saw him as a fellow Galilean. They say it right there in the passage. They know his parents, right? So, like, they, they, they've seen him grown up. They, 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 they even uh, know that he came from a town that nobody really liked called Nazareth. And so they've got all these things that are in the way of who Jesus is, is, and it's kind of clouding the identity of of who Jesus really is. Um, Their earthly view of him, because of their earthly view of him, they aren't open to seeing him as the Messiah that he really is. They were constantly looking for him. They were constantly looking for the Messiah. These people were looking for the Messiah to come, but they were looking for the wrong thing. He didn't come, and he didn't act... In the way that they envisioned, he didn't come on this on this white horse and save everybody from their sins. He didn't um, he didn't provide food like we said earlier. He didn't provide food for them daily like they thought maybe it would happen. And so Jesus came in a in a much different way, and he looked so much different, and acted so much different, and taught so much differently than they ever thought uh, he would be. And they're not because of all of those things that they their expectations are clouding the truth of who Jesus really is. His identity is being overshadowed. Uh, probably by prejudice, because of where he's from, possibly hate. Uh, it's being overcrowded by complaining, by grumbling, by unbelief, by greed, and by so much more. So how often do we allow these little things in our life, little things that, that happen in our life, uh, muddy the waters of God speaking to us? Maybe there's little things that happen and we think, uh, and, and we fail to, to, to hear the truth of Scripture, Maybe there's times in our own lives where little distraction and little strongholds are keeping us from following God's will. And maybe there's people in your life. Maybe there's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe there's a parent. Maybe there's a grandparent. Maybe there are spiritual leaders. Maybe there's friends that are, that are Christians that are trying to speak into your life. And all you're seeing are these little distractions instead of hearing the truth uh, from God. And these are uh, the, same, the same thing is happening here. They're, they're strongholds, distractions. That are keeping them from seeing Jesus for who he really is. And in these last four verses of today's passage, we see that Jesus basically summarizes all that he uh, was teaching. He summarized it all in the last four verses, verses 47 through 50. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And again, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. So every time you see the words "truly, truly," or maybe your uh, maybe your translation says "verily, verily," or maybe your translation says "amen" or "amen," um, this is uh, repeated words like this uh, mean. Hey, s- pay attention, you know. Uh, maybe in today's world, we would, we would say, listen up. And maybe we would, we would raise our voice and we'd wait for people to, 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 to look at us and make sure that they're paying attention. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, truly, truly, listen up. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And he's trying to put it out there as plainly as possible that he is there to offer that eternal life. He is sent from God to offer eternal life. He's calling the crowd to believe in himself. And he also restates that first I am statement as a reminder and as a picture of fulfilling that deep soul hunger and that deep spiritual thirst that we have. He ends with a contrast of the manna that the crowd would have been familiar with. So they've learned, they've learned through, through the years about this manna uh, that was given in the wilderness. And so they know all about it. They, they know the stories uh, about how God provided. But Jesus offers a contrast that he is different from that manna. That manna... Um, clearly, It clearly states that the manna uh, from the past or from history only sustained for a very short period of time because those people died. And Jesus, however, is the bread of eternal life. Jesus offers eternal life. He will sustain us forever. He will give us an eternity in heaven with him. And as he continues to teach, we're going to look at it next week, and Jesus sticks with this bread metaphor, and we're going to see the crowd. They're trying to figure it all out, and they're still trying to wrap their head around Jesus' teaching. So as we close, I just want to invite you, just like Jesus was inviting the crowd, to respond to the message that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the true bread. He's the bread that sustains us forever and ever and ever. Where are you getting your spiritual sustenance from? Is your soul being fed by the true bread, by Jesus? Maybe you're looking at your own life and you realize that that you are responding to Jesus in one of these three ways that this crowd did. Uh, maybe you're responding with greed. Maybe you find yourself wanting to see more, to experience more, to, to hear more, uh, to see more of a change around you, uh, to get more from Jesus before you're willing to give your life to him. And the reality is he's given you everything that you need. He's given you eternal life in heaven, and all you've got to do is accept that free gift. So maybe you're responding with greed, but maybe you're also responding with unbelief. And it's not easy. There's a lot of crazy stories that happen in the Bible. Things that Jesus did and things that Jesus said, and it's not easy to believe. Um, but one thing I've learned uh, over the years is there are things that, that, are, that are in the Bible that we've got to take as faith. Um, but also, there are, there are things that happen in the Bible um, that are hard to believe, Uh, But if you really look at it, it proves itself over and over again that the Bible is true, the Bible is the Word of God, and the Bible is the story of how Jesus came to save us. So maybe you're responding with unbelief. Maybe you're too busy looking at all the bad things in your life, and uh, just like the people that were grumbling, all those things are getting in the way of, of who Jesus really is. Maybe you're focused on the wrong things. The truth of Jesus is being shown to you, but you're grumbling about a million other things instead of seeing Jesus. And I urge you to listen to him today. He wants you to believe. He wants you to enter into, a lot, into eternal life with him. He wants to provide you with eternal life, with joy, with an abundant life. And all you have to do is believe. And the good news is today is that even if nothing changes You can have the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer, the author of life walk beside you even through the tough times, even through the things that don't make sense. So my plea today is that if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, that today you won't walk out of here without following him. The reality for the unbeliever today is that a decision is being made one way or another. You can leave through those doors. You've heard about Jesus. You can leave and you can reject his call that he's calling you to salvation, he's calling you um, to be a new creation. Or you can leave those doors today uh, knowing that Jesus has saved you and you've uh, responded to that in the right way by accepting his free gift. So we're going to close with just a little bit of music, but feel free during this time to come forward. Uh, We're going to have a couple of pastors down here. And this is a time that you can come uh, to pray. This is a time um, that you can come and maybe pray for um, pray for people uh, that, are, that are struggling. I know there's a lot of hurt going on. This is a time that maybe you want to talk to one of us about, about salvation and about eternal life and about this true bread that Jesus offers. It's also a time to respond that, that maybe you've been visiting for a while and you want to make First Baptist your church home and join our faith family. And We'd love to accept you and talk to you about that and see what that looks like in your life. So my question, closing question is, are you, are you willing to leave here changed by God's word? We'd love to hear for you, from you. We'd love to pray for you. And we'd love to just be here and, and counsel you in whatever is going on in your life. So let me pray and we'll have that time of response. Father, I just pray today, Lord, that you would, um, that you would move in people's lives. Father, I pray that as you offered the eternal life, being the bread of life, eternal life to this this crowd uh, that we hear, see here in John 6, Lord, that we would understand that that is still being offered to us today. Father, I pray that if there are those in this room that don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, that uh, today is a day that can, they can respond in the right way, with belief, with thanksgiving, and with submission. And I pray, Lord, uh, that you would draw those people to yourself. And um, Lord, I also pray that uh, those that are here that are believers, I pray that we would take this message outside of these four walls, that we would explain to them how God has saved us, how God has provided for us, how God has given us an abundant joy and everlasting life. And Lord, I just ask that you would, uh, that you would work among our people today. And Lord, that you, would, um, that you would be given all glory and all honor for everything that's done. It's in Jesus' name I pray.